0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. What I'd like to talk about tonight um, is taking refuge. It seemed appropriate for the ending of one year and beginning of a new year. I know several of you are new to practice. How many of you are familiar with the refuges or have heard a talk on the refuges? Couple, okay, okay. So be review for you, and perhaps new information for the rest of you. Um, taking refuge, or uh, taking refuge in the Triple Gem, uh, the three jewels, is about the only. I was going to say ceremony, it's not the only ceremony, but it's one of the only ceremonies that we have in Theravada practice. And it's the only thing where it comes closest to anything like membership. You know, we don't really have membership in this practice. People come and, um, you know, they just come. Um, the refuge ceremony, taking refuge, is the closest thing we have to any kind of membership. And by that I mean it is one way that we can acknowledge both to ourselves and to the rest of the Sangha that we are serious about this path, that we have accepted um, the teachings of the Buddha and intend to follow them. So uh, in 45 minutes I'll just give you sort of an overview of what taking refuge means, and the three refuges, which are the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and then ultimately in oneself. And if you'd like, later on in the year, the last two weeks, I think, of May and the first two weeks of June, Gil will be doing a four-week course on the refuges, and on the fourth night we'll do a refuge ceremony, which is you know, fairly simple, involves taking the refuges, chanting, acknowledging, and then usually um, uh, sharing a blessing cord or a blessing string. Does anybody have one? You know, usually it's red um, yarn that we either tie around our wrist or around our neck. Um, And Usually or frequently, everybody holds it and then somebody will cut it for each person, something like that. And then often we tie three knots. And as we do, each knot represents the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. So it's really a very nice uh, tradition, a very nice ceremony. I hope you'll all uh, take the class. So what does it mean in? this practice, to take refuge in the Three Jewels, to take refuge at all. What does refuge mean? We usually think of refuge as a safe haven, as um, a place of safety, a shelter, something like that. What we come to recognize in this practice is that in this physical world, there is no absolute safety. 9-11 was a great wake-up call for many people who thought there was, um, and came to realize that there is not. We are all going to die. We are none of us um, free from sickness, old age, and death. It's going to happen to every one of us. We don't know when. um, We don't know what, necessarily. um, But it's going to happen. That is the way things are in this world. So with that recognition that, you know, I can't hide. There's nowhere I can hide to be safe. Then what do we do? How do we handle that? That can be pretty scary (laughs) to really let that in, to really take that in, that there is no physical safety in this world. What do I do then? How do I feel okay? How do I feel safe? And it's kind of a paradox in a way. I feel safe. Partly because I recognize there is no safety and I quit trying to be safe all the time. That may sound paradoxical and in a way it is, but it's also the truth. That doesn't mean that we don't uh, take precautions, that we don't drive safely, that we don't lock our houses or, um, you know, take reasonable precautions against illness and etc. But at the same time, we recognize that there's so much in this life that we have no control over. You know, I try to drive safely, but I have no control. When I get in my car and drive back to San Jose, as careful as I might be, that doesn't mean somebody else isn't going to come and hit me. So there is no guarantee. There's nothing I can do about that. I can drive safely. I can watch all around me. I can't control if somebody else, drunk or just speeding or whatever, comes along and hits me. And maybe kills me. And it's true for all of us every time we get in our cars. There's no guarantee that there won't be an earthquake before our evening is up. And we could be injured or killed or whatever. That's just the way this life is. So how do we live with that? It seems like very often our culture is obsessed with trying to be safe. There seems to be some some sense out there that if we just did it right (laughs) if we just followed the rules or if we just did this or we just did that or a little more of this or a little less of that we could somehow control things and we would be safe but it isn't true and so we have a choice we can spin our wheels or we can obsess or we can spend all our time and energy trying to be safe Or we can let go and we can take reasonable precautions and then acknowledge that it's out of our control. And when we do that, amazingly, that's freedom, (laughs) because when we're obsessed with trying to be safe, you know, Safe from illness, safe from accident, whatever. Then we're tight and constricted, and um, uh, there's this intensity, and it's bondage. It's not freedom at all. We we may stop ourselves from doing things, from going places, from enjoying things because because we might get hurt. When we relax and just acknowledge, I'll do my best, but I can't control it. There's great freedom. (laughs) You know, then I'm free to come and go and not be so concerned. And I want to make it clear, I'm not saying, oh, just throw up your hands and do anything you want to. That's not it at all. Letting go is very different from giving up. So I still do my best i'm not obsessed with it i just i do what's reasonable and that might vary from person to person and then i let go when i take refuge in the buddha the dharma and the sangha i'm taking refuge in the truth of things in the reality of things I'm not saying, okay, now I'll be forever safe. Now nothing will happen to me. Now no harm can reach me. I'm rather taking refuge in my own understanding that this is the way things are. That this is how this life is. And I'm not fighting it. I'm not resisting What is true? That may be a little confusing. It may not be readily understandable. But there is, I want to plant the seed, (laughs) that there is a freedom in taking refuge or in just acknowledging what is the truth what is the truth of the way things are we take refuge in our practice we take refuge in the breath in our mindfulness in paying attention in being awake we take refuge in a mind of equanimity That is a mind that accepts things and holds things as they are. We develop a certain faith or trust, not a blind faith, and not a faith in something outside of ourselves, but the confidence that comes from experience. The confidence that we build As we follow this practice, as we are more and more mindful and aware and alert, and we develop a trust. It's not even a trust in anything. It's just a trust. It's a knowing, perhaps. Not necessarily that nothing will happen or that everything will be just fine, but more in the knowing that we can handle whatever happens. With our mindfulness, with our awareness, with our practice, we will be present and we will be okay with whatever happens. So, Tara Brock, who is a very wonderful teacher in the Washington, D.C. area, says, Taking refuge awakens and cultivates the inner experience of safety and belonging. The inner experience. We awaken from the trance of fear and learn to trust the unfolding of our lives for me that that really says it we learn to trust the unfolding of our lives so the first refuge or the first gem is the buddha Now, when we talk about taking refuge in the Buddha, what do we mean? We're not talking about this statue, this representation. We're not even really talking about the historical, physical Buddha. We're talking about the possibility of awakeness. The possibility of enlightenment or freedom, freedom from all suffering. And the Buddha is our inspiration. The Buddha is the representation we have that this awakening, this freedom is possible. The Buddha was a human being. He lived on this earth and through his practice, He gained enlightenment or found freedom, freedom from all suffering. And then he taught for 40 years so that we too could follow that path and find our own freedom. So when we take refuge in the Buddha, what we are really saying or what we are really taking refuge in is the possibility of our own awakening. That in this very life, we too can wake up. We too can be awake and aware. And that's the refuge that we have, that we are awake. Thich Nhat Hanh puts... um, the refuges very beautifully. And he says, Buddha is the teacher showing the way, the perfectly awakened one, beautifully seated, peaceful and smiling. The living source of understanding and compassion. This is the inspiration that we have. This is our model for internal safety, being awake, being aware. Since there is no guarantee of safety, there is no physical safety in this world then we do need to turn inward. We turn inward for our refuge. And when we turn inward, we are turning towards our own wakefulness so that our own awareness, our own mindfulness will be a refuge for us. When we don't know what to do, When we feel alone, when we feel scared, we have the example of the Buddha's enlightenment, the Buddha's awakeness, to help to guide us. And we recognize that we too can have that wakefulness. We too can be awake and aware, and we take refuge in that possibility. In that knowing that we, too, can be awake. And when we are awake, totally awake and aware and present, then though the physical body may suffer, may have pain, may get hurt, we know that who we are is not touched. And in this practice, that is called the deathless. We touch the deathless. And we know that the body is the body. And the body may get hurt, it may get old, it will get old. Um, it may even die. But that who we are, at the core, lives on. So, a couple of more ways that Tiknat Han says this: I take refuge in the Buddha, the one who shows me the way in this life. Dwelling in the refuge of Buddha. I see clearly the path of light and beauty in the world. We might say we take refuge in the Buddha within. The Buddha within each one of us. And then the second jewel, the second refuge, is the Dharma. The Dharma, the word Dharma has many meanings. Um, I heard someone say as many as 50 different meanings. Usually when we talk about the Dharma, we are referring to the teachings, the the body of teachings that the Buddha left. Um, The Dharma can also mean the truth. Uh, It can also refer to anything or everything That helps us to wake up so that anything that happens in our life can be a gateway to awakening. Any experience that we have, anything that comes our way, we can use as a way of waking up, as a way of seeing the truth of things. Dharma is the clear path. Leading us out of ignorance. Bringing us back. To an awakened life. So what do we mean by the truth? What is it about the teachings. That we can take refuge in. And there are, you know, or, well, everything in the teachings, but specifically or mainly a couple, three different things. And one is the three characteristics. The three characteristics that can be called the three insights. Um, the three things that we come to realize as we do this practice are, number one, the fact of change, the fact of impermanence, the fact that everything in this physical life changes. Nothing stays the same. Not us, not anything else. And when we, again, when we fully recognize that truth, that nothing stays the same, that everything is a process, everything is constantly changing, then we don't have to be so thrown by it. You know, so much of the time we get thrown by change, right? I was talking with someone today who is painting her bedroom, and she said, even that is disruptive to me. It's a change. (laughs) And that's sometimes how we feel, right? The slightest little thing... It's disruptive. It's, it's a change. Even if it's a good change, there's that, because it's different, right? That we all experience that. Um, if we think it shouldn't be that way, then we suffer. But if we recognize, oh, yeah, there's change, and there's that glitch, yep, that happens, then we don't have to suffer. We just remind ourselves, yep, there's change. There's impermanence. That's how it is. Um, The second uh, characteristic or insight is that of dukkha, or dukkha is so often translated suffering. Sometimes that word doesn't work so well. Um, I think unsatisfactoriness is maybe, uh, for me, that works a little bit better Because it's easy for me to say, "Mm, I don't suffer. I don't consider a lot in my life suffering. But if I look at unsatisfactoriness, oh, yeah, (laughs) I see that quite a bit. Uh, Tan Jeff translates it as stress. And probably all of us can find stress in our lives. So, again, the recognition that, that there is suffering, there is stress, there is unsatisfactoriness. You know, it's not our fault. We didn't do something wrong. It's just the way it is. That's the way of life. So again, when we see that, when we recognize, when we really let that in, we can relax. We can um, stop trying to control things so much and just acknowledge. That's the way it is. That's the way of things. And then we don't have to try to control everything and make it just so so there's no... Suffering. So there's no um, unsatisfactoriness. And the third characteristic or the third insight is that of um, the reality that there is no substantial, unchanging um, self in here. That we, like everything else, are processes. Um, Everything is in process and there's nothing inherently solid or fixed or unchanging or um, that we can cling to uh, in Zen terms everything is empty everything has no uh, solid substantiality this is this is a, um, a very often misunderstood concept. Uh, but it's just important to know this is one of the three characteristics and it's part of uh, wise view, wise understanding, and part of just the truth of things, the reality of things that we do learn to take refuge in. That's just how it is. And again, We can fight it and then we're just tight and constricted and we suffer or we can let go and say, that's the way it is. Okay, now what? Another truth of the Dharma is the Four Noble Truths. Um, The Four Noble Truths being the reality of suffering or unsatisfactoriness, the cause which the Buddha taught was our clinging, our grasping, our attachment to having things the way we want them. Um, The third is that there is an end to this uh, unsatisfactoriness. And the fourth is the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path being the path that leads us to the end of suffering. So these are the specific truths um, of the Dharma. As I said, though, anything and everything can be our teacher. Uh, whatever our particular issue or issues are, can be our gateway to freedom. So there's, there's nothing inherently uh, bad or terrible about any issues that we have. They may be uncomfortable, um, we may not particularly care for them, but we all have them. And if we can begin to use these issues, these, we might call them problems, although that's not really the truth, but that's generally how we refer to them. Uh, if we can begin to use these for our awakening, to learn from, to grow from, then they're not problems. <laughs> they're just conditions of life, or sometimes we call them Dharma gates, that is, a way towards awakening. As we continue our practice frequently, deeper and deeper layers of fear can be exposed, can be unearthed. It seems to be the nature of human beings that there is a good deal of fear within us. And often we don't want to face this fear. Often we want to turn and run from it. But in that running, we miss, again, another opportunity. Another opportunity for growth, for freedom, for seeing the reality of things. So, turning towards this fear, facing this fear, meeting it head-on, can be, again, another gate towards freedom. Tara Brock in, in her book, uh, Radical Acceptance, talks a lot about the fear uh, in relation to taking refuge, she says, Taking refuge in nature, in the natural world, is part of our Dharma. As we feel our belonging to the natural rhythms of life, the illusion of being separate and threatened. Begins to dissolve. So it might be that this. That this illusion. Of separateness. Is at the root. Of our fear. That when we see ourselves. As these separate. uh, Individuals. These. Physical bodies, then we can be threatened because we know that they can be harmed. But what she's suggesting is that when we align ourselves with the natural rhythms of life, of nature, then we begin to experience ourselves as part of that natural rhythm and not separate. And if we're not separate, there's no need to be threatened. So again, Thich Han says, I take refuge in the Dharma, the way of understanding and of love. Or dwelling in the refuge of Dharma, I learn to open many doors on the path of transformation. I take refuge in the Dharma, the way of understanding and of love. Is that it? Mm -hmm. So then the third refuge, the third gem, is that of the Sangha. The Sangha being the community of practitioners. At the time of the Buddha, the Sangha was uh, referred to the monks and nuns that were followers of the Buddha. Since that time, the term has been greatly expanded to include any gathering of practitioners and actually, ultimately, um, everyone. As someone said to me last night, there's only one Sangha. but. Generally, we refer to the Sangha as our specific community. So, for us tonight, this is our Sangha. We're part of the larger IMC Sangha or community. We're part of the larger Vipassana Sangha um, in California, in the United States. We're part of the Buddhist Sangha, um, not only in the United States, but worldwide. And what does it mean then to take refuge in the Sangha? Thich Nhat Hanh says that the future Buddha, the future Buddha who is referred to as Maitreya, will be the Sangha. The Buddha spoke about the uh, whole of the spiritual life being good friends or spiritual friends so what does this mean it sounds very important sangha is the beautiful community that practices joy realizing liberation bringing peace and happiness to life this practice is sometimes considered like swimming upstream can be very challenging. It can be very difficult. Um, I sometimes refer to it as going the opposite way on a one-way street. And when we're doing that, swimming upstream or going the opposite way, we need the support of like-minded practitioners. We need to know that we're not alone. We need to know that there is a community that is with us that will support us that will um, nudge us a little bit maybe when when we're doubting or will just be an ear or um, will give us time, give us their presence, give us their attention. Uh, sometimes it helps just to come and sit with a group of people. Most of us feel that sitting with a group is easier, uh, is more enlivening, than sitting on our own. Occasionally, somebody prefers to sit alone, but most of us find that sitting with a group um, feels more supportive. That's the value of having a group of people that are on the same path, that are attempting to live a similar life, that are all trying to follow the precepts um, that are taking the same refuges that have the same worldview, and are trying to, to live a life of truth and authenticity. And so the value of the Sangha, the value of knowing there are other practitioners on the same path, we can take refuge in that there can be some solace in that. There can be some uh, companionship and some sense of belonging. So again, I take refuge in the Sangha, the community that lives in harmony and awareness. Dwelling in the refuge of Sangha, I am supported by its shining light, that keeps my practice free of obstacles so the support from other people is not always a pat on the back sometimes it might be a questioning sometimes it might be mm, break it up a little bit more this way a little bit more effort a little less whatever so This is just as important as, yeah, good job, that's right, keep it up. That's very important. But sometimes we need, you know, that that truth, that little nudge that says, oh, well, maybe try this, maybe that way. And this is what a group of good spiritual friends can provide. We can support each other with the truth as well as, with lots of loving kindness and compassion and uh, sympathetic joy. The Taoists refer to the invincible shield of caring, the safety of abiding in the heart. And then the last, those are the three refuges, the triple gem. But as I said at the beginning, ultimately, we take refuge within ourselves. The Buddha within, the Dharma within, the Sangha within. Ultimately, there is nothing without that we can cling to. There is only our own awakeness only our own understanding, our own recognition of the truth that we take refuge in. Again, Tara Brach talks about as long as we are alive, there will be fear. That's a part of being in this human form. And she suggests that facing fear is a lifelong process, a lifelong learning, but that our willingness to face our fears frees us from the trance. When we're caught in our fear, we're in this trance, this trance of fear. And when we are willing, when we have the courage to actually face the fear, like everything else that we face fully, it does begin to dissipate. It does begin to let go of its hold on us. We let go of subtler and subtler levels of resistance until there is only openness and awareness. This is a process, facing the fear and letting go. Facing the fear and letting go until as she says there is only openness and awareness. Our radical acceptance of fear leads us to this freedom, the ultimate refuge, our true home. So Thich Nhat Hanh says, taking refuge in the Buddha in myself, I aspire to help all people recognize their own awakened nature and recognize the mind of love. Taking refuge in the Dharma in myself, I aspire to help all people grasp the way of practice and walk together together on the path of liberation. Taking refuge in the Sangha in myself, I aspire to help all people build fourfold communities and encourage the transformation of all beings. The fourfold community being um, the community of monks and nuns and um, laymen and laywomen. In Christianity, it is said that to find your life, you must lose your life. Dogen, the great Zen master, said, talked about to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to find freedom in all things that is that all things become our teacher and we find freedom in all things Dogen (laughs) Dogen's teaching Dogen said to study the Buddha way is to study the self To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to find freedom in all things. So we take refuge in the Buddha, the awakened one, the inspiration for our own awakening. We take refuge in the Dharma. The truth of things, the truth of the way things are, the Tao of things, if you will. And we take refuge in the Sangha, the community of practitioners that supports us on the path and is there for us. And ultimately, we take refuge within ourselves, in our own wakefulness, in our own ability To recognize and live the truth. And in our own ability to be there for others and to have others be there for us. And that ultimately is our only refuge. All else can fail. All else can be taken away. Absolutely everything we have can be taken away. Our own wakefulness, our own understanding cannot be taken away. This is basically what Viktor Frankl found um, uh, in the concentration camp, that horrible as things were, he found meaning and refuge in his own wakefulness. He didn't use that term particularly, but... But that's ultimately what it is. And that's ultimately what anybody finds um, Nelson Mandela, uh, Gandhi, Martin Luther King. Ultimately, they take refuge in their own understanding, their own wakefulness, because absolutely everything else can be taken away. So, we have a few minutes. Are there comments, questions? Yes.
1: You mentioned the uh, three different characteristics. One being emptiness, another one being dukkha. And could you go over the third one again?
0: Impermanence.
1: Impermanence.
0: Right. The fact that everything changes. Nothing stays the same. Thank you.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes. A very
1: simple question, really. What is the difference, if any, between wakefulness
0: and mindfulness?
1: You used the term wakefulness, and I was wondering about that.
0: I use the term wakefulness to refer to being awake. Mindfulness Leads to awakeness. Mindfulness is, you know, paying attention, um, being very awake, aware, uh, or being very present, and that leads to wakefulness, to awakeness, awareness. Is it all that clear or that confusing? I <laughs> have another question. Uh-huh.
1: Um, you had mentioned um, having one's own spirit, that being the fourth, uh, that the only thing that we have when everything else is faded away.
0: You know, everything else can be taken away. Taken right. away. Mm-hmm. Stripped away. Mm-hmm. mentioned
1: some people, you know, Mandela, mm-hmm. King, and, and a few others, and um, in their state where they just had themselves. You would mention. there was just kind of like this paradox that hit, hit me. It was like, we're all a part of this sangha, or this, this breath, and that breath is impermanent, but yet it's permanent, because it's the only thing that we have when everything else is gone is our own spirit, our own breath, but yet even that is impermanent as we, we fade off into the death or whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, it still is.
0: The breath is impermanent, you're right, because the breath at some point will cease. When the body dies, the breath ceases.
1: The spirit, of, say the spirit of the Buddha, right...
0: I don't think I used the word spirit. I think I said our own awareness, awakeness.
1: Right. What I meant by spirit was the inspiration. The spirit of that um, gem. That doesn't change. Or does it?
0: Uh, I'm not sure what you said. What doesn't change? The spirit?
1: The spirit? The the, the spirit? (coughs) Of the Buddha, the gem, the Buddha, the one of the gems. That always remains. That's one thing that we can, like the Sangha and the Dharma, we can always kind of count on. But even that changes, the Buddha becomes the Sangha. Sort of like.
0: Ultimately, it all ends. <laughs> 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 He's saying that ultimately, or that um, the concepts remain. Well, um,
2: this whole path, that's what is so, this all has remained for 2,000 years or more, passed on down from the Buddha. So that isn't just, hasn't just faded away, is what I'm saying.
0: No, but it is not permanent.
2: I mean, well, permanent, that's just a...
0: It, it will end.
2: That's just a word, you know. I mean, what's the point of telling us all about this and then saying it's not permanent? Well, how else did it get passed down all this time?
0: It has, I don't you're care right. what word
2: you want to use. It's got some continuity.
0: You're right. It has been passed down for 2,500 years. So it seems That's like
2: you're being a little bit pessimistic, overemphasizing <laughs> this. Oh, it's going to end. It's going to end. Well, then... Why are we Well, that's here? very
0: different, John, because usually I'm considered an idealist, <laughs> not a pessimist. So <laughs> what? Um,
2: well, I mean, I, either there is something here or else it's nothing. And then why are we even bothering with it? If you're just going to, you know, either going to admit there's something here. Or else we might as well just go home and forget about it. I think there's too much sometimes this overemphasis on, oh, nothing's here, nothing's there, nothing exists. No, I didn't
0: say that. I I didn't say that.
2: From a lot of you Buddhist speakers.
0: Okay, but I'm not. (laughs) I'm me. Yes, there is a great deal here, there is a great deal in the Buddhist teachings for us to, um, to rely on, for us to pay attention to and follow. Um, and the longer I practice, I just keep developing more and more of an appreciation. It's like my appreciation deepens. And actually, the more um, I've done some interfaith work and the more I learn about other faiths, even learn more about my own original faith, um, the greater appreciation I have for the Buddha's teachings. So there very definitely is something here. Um, And that's as long as we're alive as long as we are in these bodies, that's what we take refuge in. We take refuge in those teachings and in the example that the Buddha set, that we can wake up. Um, The irony is, and I just read this today, where did I read it, I can't remember, but anyway, once we're enlightened, nobody to be enlightened (laughs) so enlightenment is only um, a thing when there's illusion or ignorance you know and there's only ignorance when there's enlightenment ultimately both are gone we don't really need to get into that but that's the ultimate you know in the meantime practically we take refuge in the buddha the dharma and the sangha mm-hmm. yes
2: i just wanted to say it was it was all very clear for me and thank you very much
0: <laughs> well, you're welcome <laughs> i hope that um, that's just the first level, or maybe second level of clarity, um, because as I said, it's really true for me that all of the teachings um, get clearer and clearer and clearer, have more meaning. You know, it's like like anything. You think you know it, and then there's another level, and then you oh now I really understand, and then there's another level, <laughs> and that just keeps happening. There's just um, a deeper and deeper and deeper understanding. And and the beauty of it is that uh, that this is not a belief system. This is not a dogma. We're not taking refuge in any dogma or any belief. We're taking refuge in the truth of things. You know, we're just taking refuge in the way it is. And the fact of awakening and realizing the way it is is our refuge. It's quite it's quite amazing, isn't it? And and a bit seemingly a bit of a paradox, but it's really it's really true. That as how did Tara say it, that as we just keep letting go of fear and letting go of fear, um, subtler and subtler levels of resistance until there is only openness and awareness. And that's that's where we abide. Yeah?
1: Yeah. Um, I, 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 I thought I would just say something because I uh, i get in the last second here. Um, I read in a book by, I believe the pronunciation is Bogong Trumpa, One of the repreciations of that. And in there it talks about uh, different levels of enlightenment like Hinayana, Mahayana, uh, Varayana, Anatura, and then Mahati, And it's the path of the Bodhisattva or the 14th Dalai Lama that he is the incarnation of that path, of Maha'ati, and that's the ultimate stage of enlightenment on earth, made manifest to some degree. I guess that's how I understand it. Is that correct?
0: (laughs) Um, uh, There's a lot in there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think probably we won't go into it uh, tonight. Yeah, In the Theravada teachings, there are four stages of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that it's that big a deal. <laughs> when we get there, we'll worry about it. <laughs> In the meantime, I think just being awake, just just our wakefulness is what's important. Yeah. So it is just nine o'clock and um, we'll do a moment of dedicating the merit, as is our practice and tradition, that any merit, any advantage, any um, benefit that we may have gained from our practice, our discussion here tonight, be not just for our benefit but for the benefit of all beings. And as we leave here, go out into the world, may we, may we share our, our presence, our radiance with everyone that we meet, with everyone that we pass, with every passing car, um, and extend Our loving kindness, our caring to all beings everywhere. That all of us, all beings, may be happy, may be peaceful, and may be free. So have a safe journey. Happy New Year.